Amen. Well, it's great to be back, and uh, this is the first time I've been here in this building, and what a gift from the Lord this is, and uh, praise God for how he's working in your church. Uh, Sue and I had the privilege to be with Ray and Natalie uh, about a week and a half ago at our senior pastors and wives retreat. I had him give a report of his trip to uh, Romania and Moldova, and uh, that he and Kevin, along with Jason Matta from Toronto West, uh, the Canadians who were there, and uh, just to hear his passion about what God has been teaching him and growing him in in all of that was such um, a blessing as well, and so we're thankful for them. And I said to the guys as uh, we arrived, I bet you're happy that the first guest preacher on the pastor's sabbatical actually showed up because... <laughs> There's going to be a bunch of these as you go along, right? But uh, this time for Ray and for his family will be an important time, and I trust very much um, a refreshing time for them. So we want to get into God's Word. And uh, so let's open our Bibles to First Chronicles chapter 17. If you don't have a Bible, uh, just put your hand up and someone who's uh, coming along will give you one. As I said, if you don't have one, you're welcome to take that with you and, uh, and read it um, and get to know the Lord of the Word of God. I want to speak on a topic tonight called, I Choose to Pray. I choose to pray. And so let me ask you this, this question. Do you remember a day when God closed the door on a thing that you believe was a good thing and you wanted to do, and God closed that door? Um, I was uh, just thinking about this again this afternoon, and um, I remember a day when God closed the door on a thing that we thought at Hope Bible Church in Markham God was going to do. Um, on May the 7th, 2013, so it's 10 years ago, um, one of the men in our church who we had been training and preparing, and he'd gone through all of the work to become an elder in our church. His name was Julius Mascarenas. I say was because on May the 7th, 2013, he was traveling north up the 404, north out of Toronto, and uh, someone cut him off, and his car went through the median up onto the, he was going north up into the southbound lanes. There was a head-on collision. A few hours later, he was pronounced dead, and he was gone. It's like, Lord, like he was going to be an elder in our church. Like, we'd done all of our homework. You know, it's one of those things you say, you say kind of crazy things at the time. It's like, when I get to heaven, I want to ask the Lord, like, what was that about, right? It's like, are you kidding me? When I get to heaven, we won't even be thinking about that stuff, right? But, but that's the way we think on earth, right? But Lord, can you explain to me what that was about? Maybe the Lord will explain to me what that was about. I've seen so many good things come out of that story. I had the privilege to preach at his funeral a few days later. Our church was packed with over 500 people, uh, video people watching all over the world in India and other places. And, and even in his death, the testimony of Jesus Christ was built out. But it wasn't our plan. Like, our plan was he was going to be an elder in our church, and, and God said no. In uh, Chronicles 17, we hear the story of David uh, in an illustration of when God says no. 
But before we get to that, and I'm going to spend a little bit of extra time in the introduction today, so don't fret. It's like, oh no, he spent like 10 minutes in the introduction. Jesus is coming back for sure before this message is over. Okay, it's not going to be like that, okay, just so you know. But I want to set the table. I want to set it well for you. And um, in chapter 16, we have David's song. Chapter uh, 16, part of it was already read to us tonight. Um, it's written after the Ark of the Covenant's return to Jerusalem. And he, he writes this great song of thanksgiving. And then in chapter 17, David meets up with Nathan. Um, do you remember who Nathan is? And Nathan is the prophet who pointed out, the, pointed the finger at David about his sin with Bathsheba and the death of Uriah, and he has to call him out. This is the same, the same Nathan, only this is earlier in David's life. Uh, David meets up with Nathan the prophet, and um, he, he, here's what David wants to do. David's called a man after God's own heart in the Bible. And David wanted to build a house for God's ark. He wanted to build a temple. And so he goes and he asks um, Nathan about there, talks to Nathan about it. Look in verse 1. And, and when David lived in his house, David saw, said to Nathan, the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. David's like, I'm the king. I've got everything. I've got this great mansion. I've got it all put together. And yet God's ark doesn't have a place to dwell. Seems like a good start to a story. And Nathan said to David, um, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. End of scene one. Scene, scene two. But the same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Oops. No prayer. No seeking the Lord. A good idea from David. And Nathan's like, cool, go for it. And now Nathan's in bed and he's thinking. And, um, but the same night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. And it says, here's the delivering of the bad news. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord. It is not for you who will build me a house to dwell in. For I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I have gone from tent to tent and from dwelling to dwelling. In all places where I, I have moved with all Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, which I commanded to shepherd my people who say, we have you, excuse me, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now you have to imagine what's going on for Nathan, right? Nathan's going into the king after he's told him, go for it. And now he's going to say, you're not going to go for it. Um, remembering this is the king he's talking to. This is not just, you know, his employer. It's not just his boss. Uh, David could snuff him out in any moment. Remember when Esther was going to go before the king and she was fearful to go before the king because if, if he doesn't welcome her in, that's not going to go well for her? Well, that's Nathan right now. And so, so Nathan was on this great idea, great idea, David. Yeah, you go build the temple. And then he goes to bed and it's like, Oops, now I got to go and deliver the message. You're not going to build the temple, but Nathan is faithful. That's a great picture of him. He's a great study in scripture. He's faithful, and he goes and he delivers the message. We find it in verses 7 to 15. Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
the sheep. Excuse me. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in their own place and be, um, and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you and one of your own sons, we know now as Solomon, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love for him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision Nathan spoke to David. Sad news is, David, you're not going to build a house. If you want to know why David wasn't going to be the one building a house, you can look it up later in 1 Chronicles 22, 6-8. But it's because David was a warring king. He had blood on his hand. And God says, you're not going to do that. And uh, someone else is going to build. Your son is going to, to build that. And um, your big dreams are not going to happen as you thought. You can imagine the disappointment that David must have felt. First of all, he got what he wanted typically in life. And secondly, what he wants to do is a good thing. Like, who's voting against building a house for the Lord? And God says, it's not going to be you who do that. And he needs to face the disappointment. He faces a bit of a roller coaster. Look what he chooses to do. Um, we can look at the rest of this passage, and that's where we want to, want to get to. And as David faces the disappointment to the title of the message, I choose to pray. I choose to pray. I remember in our church when um, we lost this man, a very godly man, and uh, when Julius was gone, uh, we prayed. We didn't understand, but we prayed. We asked God to direct us and lead us, and he did, and, and God worked for his glory through it, although to this day I don't understand all of the whys. But my ways are not your ways, right? And my thoughts are not. God's ways are different than our ways. And he works for his glory in all kinds of things and all kinds of circumstances. And, and we only see a little bit of it right now of what God's doing in so many other ways. And, and so David faces all of this. And uh, it brings me to what the big idea of this message is for today. And that is this. When I am overwhelmed in life, I will pray. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. Well, does that mean we don't pray all the time? No, we need to be praying every day and everything. Give thanks. Um, pray without ceasing. This is the will of God. Prayer needs to be the heartbeat of every believer. I love your church for its passion to pray. I love what you did in the service where you just take some time to pray, to prepare our hearts. I, I love the, uh, I was telling the, the guys when we were praying before the service, uh, at the conference last October in, in Oakville, I was sitting in the front row and right behind me in the next row were 
a bunch of you people, right? And uh, I don't say that in a derogatory way. Just a bunch of you people, right? And, and we had a time of prayer. And I was so thrilled just to watch you just come together. And just, there was no hesitation to gather, to pray, and to call out to the Lord. And we need to be people who are about praying. And uh, especially when life doesn't make sense. And we don't try and figure out on our own, but we come to the God who understands the beginning from the end. So when I'm overwhelmed, I choose to pray. And that leads us to our text for tonight. So let's stand together. I want to honor God by reading his word and... um, Listen as I read the rest of the chapter. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And this was a small thing in your eyes, O God. You have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have shown my future generations O Lord God, and what more can David say for for honoring your servant, for you know your servant. For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. There is none like you, O Lord, and there is no God beside you according to all we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making for yourself a name for great and awesome things in driving out nations before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. And you made your people Israel to be your people forever And you, O Lord, became their God. And now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever and do as you have spoken. And your name will be established and magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, is Israel's God, And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray before you. And now, O Lord, you are God, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever before you. For it is you, O Lord, who have blessed and is blessed forever. Lord, this is your word. As you taught David, teach us through the power of your spirit that prayer would not be the last thing we do, but would be the first thing we do. When we are struggling, when we are hurting, when it is difficult, we would cry out to you, O God, You've given us your word. You've given us the answer to so much in your word, and you desire that we come and we pray. And so, Lord, when it's difficult, would we be people? It's not the last thing, but, God, you bring us to our our knees before you to pray, to trust you, and watch how you will work. But, Lord, we'll learn those patterns when we make prayer part of our lives every day. And so when things are good, would we give you praise and give you honor and give you the glory? So that when things are difficult, we can give you praise 
We can give you honor and we can give you the glory. Lead us in your word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can take your seats. Two things. Two-point message tonight. Here's the first point. The character of the person who prays. When I'm overwhelmed, I will pray. Well, what does that character, what does it look like? Um, Before you can truly pray, you must have a right understanding of yourself. If you think too highly of yourself, if you're self-righteous, if you think you've got it all figured out, you're not coming to pray. What do you need the Lord for, right? You have to have a right view of yourself. Um, Consider your prayer times. And ask yourself, when, when I come to the Lord, I come like, a, like God's a genie and I'm going to rub his belly and see what he'll give me? Um, do, I come, do I come to him because he is awesome, he's on the throne, he is the creator of the eternal universe, he is the one who gives me every breath of my life, he's the one who gave the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one who made my salvation possible, he's the one who is the keeper of my soul? Like, how do we come to God? David's discouraged, frustrated. Like, I want to build a house for God. And he comes to the Lord. Look what it says, uh, verse 16. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said. Now, there's lots of positions that the Bible talks about in prayer. Right? So I don't think we should really overemphasize one necessarily over the other. Uh, the reality of kneeling demonstrates a humility before God, understands he's on the throne. Hey, there's a great verse about that one. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, right? So uh, we need to pray. When was the last time you got on your knees when you prayed? Because getting on your knees says, I am not enough, you are enough, you're on the throne, I'm not on the throne. It's a great position to get yourself in. But laying out on the floor for the Lord in prayer is part of prayer as well. Um, Hands raised, head bowed, standing. But in this one, it says, he sat. King David went in and he sat before the Lord. And so it's okay to sit when you pray too. Um, I'm not sure what to even make out of that other than maybe he'd been doing a lot of running around and pacing for the last little while and finally he's getting his mind in a right place and he comes in and he just sits down he's like, I don't know. That's a little sanctified imagination. The Bible doesn't say. It just says he sat. He comes in and he sat. And then it says, and he said. He sat. And then he said, see, so often we think about our circumstances and we don't even come to the Lord and we don't even tell him how we're feeling. We don't ever, I remember a long time ago, I was at a youth retreat speaking, just college age, and I was talking to this guy and and he was struggling with some things and, and I said to him, why don't you tell the Lord? And he's like, I couldn't believe what he said. It was, it was funny to me. He goes, well, I could never tell God that. And I said, you, you don't think the Lord already knows? Like, he sees your heart. He sees how you're acting. Like, why don't you just agree with God that you're ticked off with him right now? 
right? Um, why don't you tell God how you feel of what's going on? It was so amazing to watch what God did in his spirit in that moment in that guy's life as he prayed to the Lord and God broke him of himself and he came to understand, man, I thought I was on the throne. My self-righteousness takes me nowhere and, and God does all of those things in our lives when we're right before him. But it says he sat and he said... Um, Again, there's different ways that we pray. There's different positions we pray. The Bible talks about groaning in, in Romans, and, and we're groaning before the Lord, and we don't even, it doesn't even make sense to us. And in the throne room of heaven, it's clear. Um, there's praying. There's being still. Be still and know that I am God. There is singing in prayer. There's all kinds of different ways we can pray, but we need to be people who pray. And the character of the person um, that God is looking for is when things are difficult, when my life is overwhelmed, I'm going to be that person who's coming before the Lord. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to kneel down, I'm going to lay down, and I'm going to pray. Are you that person? Are you like that? Is that the first thing you do? Or is the last thing that you do? Who am I, O Lord God, is what he says. Maybe David thought he was something. Maybe David thought he had a right to build this. Like, I am the king after all. And then the first words are, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? So out of this point, there's two things I want you to see. Two key ideas that I want you to grasp today. When we come to the Lord, here's the first thing. You come as a servant. You come as a servant. Um, you say, you, you can prove that from the text? Yeah, I sure can. Ten times in the text, David refers to being a servant. But I'm not even going to go in to try and prove it for you. It's like it's so obvious. It's there. Um, you come as a servant. But David's the king. When you come to God, you come as the servant. And David had to understand that. And I have to understand that. God is on the throne. I am not. And so when I come to him, I come as a servant, David understood that although he was the king with a throne, he was a servant of the Most High God. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Uh, Philippians 2, 7 says, But made himself nothing, a taking the form of a servant and being formed in likeness of men, Jesus comes and he washes feet and he dies as a servant. How much more for us when we come before the Lord, we come as servants to the King of Kings. Here's the second thing about him in his character. Not only does he come as a servant, he comes in humility. He comes in humility. Look at uh, verse 18. And, and what more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant. Um, for you know your servant. When I come before the Lord, I'm not fooling anybody. That guy who I talked about in that retreat who didn't want to talk to the Lord because he knew his heart was wrong. And he's like, I can't talk to the Lord like that. I can't talk to the Lord like that. We come as servant. We come in humility to God. Because the text says, for you know your servant. God knows your heart. When I talked about maybe that thing that we had as a church where we had this man who we thought was going to be an elder and then he wasn't going to be an elder because God took him home. Like, that guy won that day, right? 
The rest of us lost that day, but that guy won that day, right? Learning to come in humility to the Lord, going, God, you're, you're messing up our plans, God. You feel like that today sometimes? Something in your life that's going on? It's like, Lord, you're messing up my plan. David comes in humility for, for you know your servant. I wrote this note down. Pride, pride is a prayer stopper. If you think you're something, then you're not coming to the Lord. Pride shuts your mouth, and you won't pray. And if you find yourself in that place in your life today, I beg you, I urge you, get to the Lord. Get on your face before God and set aside your pride. And you're like, you don't know how much it hurts. And I don't. But I know one who does, and I know the one who can care for you, and the one who can deliver you out of that. Don't let pride keep you from your prayers. No, but I had a plan, and it was all going to work out, and my plan's going south, and, and now I'm going to have to tell people that, you know, my plan to do whatever your thing is is not working out the way it was. That's called pride. You want what you want more than you want what God wants in your life. Pride stops our prayer. But David comes. He's the king for Pete's sake. Who doesn't have to, he doesn't have to answer to anyone. Yes, he does. He answers to the king of kings. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, not your time, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Proverbs 11.2 says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. David, in humility, and as a servant, accepts God's no. It's not for you to do this, David. Your son Solomon will do this. I believe there's some foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus Christ in this text as well. That's a message for another day. But, but today, it's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a son. His name, and didn't know his name, obviously. But Solomon will be the one who's going to build the temple. Now, David goes. Like, he's got all the building materials. When Solomon gets there, like, it's all laid out, right? The, all the cedars from Lebanon, like, it's all there. It's all ready for him to build it, but he didn't get to do it. And see, David comes to the place of accepting God's no. And sometimes God says no in our lives. And God's no in our lives so often is to protect us from ourselves. Because if I gave that to you, it wouldn't be good for you. In David's story, it was like, no, you're not going to do that. I've got another plan. Um, we always want God to say yes to our ideas, don't we? And our dreams. But it doesn't always work that way. And the question is, do we willingly come under that? Do you want God's answer to be yes in your life? What you want, God. What you want, God, in my life. That's what I want in my life. Like, I think about some things that have happened in our lives. Sue was in a motor vehicle accident 20, 20 a lot years ago. And a uh, um, lot of damage. And the doctors told her 25 years from now, it's 
going to get tough for you. And uh, it was like they wrote it on the calendar, right? And, uh, and uh, so all of that is starting to happen. And so, you know, we can't do the things that we used to do. The way It's not just because we're old. Like, I'm, well, I'm, she's not. So it's not because I'm old, right? As you get older, you feel pains you never had before. I get all that stuff. And I'm talking about that. I'm talking about like this. It's like, Lord, why did you do that? But I think about the lessons we've learned in this and how God's worked in our lives in this. Um, the heart attack that I had five years ago. What God needed to teach me in that and how he is and, and working in that and uh, the reminders of those things. and uh, Believe me, I wouldn't have asked God for either of those things. But I wouldn't trade either of those things now for anything because how God has worked in those things in our lives. Like God never promised it would be easy. He promised he would go with us. So what about the relationship that you're dealing with, that maybe you need to let go of. Maybe your focus is on a job opportunity or a move, or maybe it's uh, a circumstance in your health or, or um, timing of some event. And, and the Lord's got, I've got this. I've got this for you. But it's not going to look like I want it. No, that's okay, because what I have is better for you. God had something better for us in the Julius Mascarena story. I don't exactly know what that is. I know how God built our church. I know how it refined us. I know what it did in his wife's life. I know what it did two daughters. I know what it did in their daughters' lives. I've seen how God worked in those things. And believe me, those weren't easy lessons. I'm not saying it was all peaches and cream. It was like, woohoo, look what Jesus did. No, but through the difficulties, God has worked in their lives and done things beyond what they ever would have imagined before in their lives. Because David was willing to accept God's no, we have to learn sometimes to do the same. Lots of times God says yes, but sometimes God says no. And when he does, we need to be willing to come under it and trust him in it and watch him work in it. Well, we talked about um, the character of the person who prays. But let's get to the flip side of the coin, and that's the character of our God who answers prayer. Like, why could David let it go? Why could David come under this thing? And we see this in the text, and then we see the character of the God who answers our prayer. Notice some of the character traits um, that David lays out as he talks to God. The first one, he said that his God is passionate. His God is passionate, it says in verse 9, For your servant's sake, O Lord, and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness in making known all these great things. According to your own heart, God, we can trust God because God is passionate for us. God cares about us. God wants his glory to be demonstrated in our lives. And so when you think about the struggle you're in, remember God cares about your need. God cares about your situation more than you ever could. He's passionate about it. Another thing, though, we see in verse 20, he's not like us. Look at verse 20, it says, there's none like you. There's none like you, O Lord. And there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. God is so not like us. God's ways aren't our ways. God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. He knows the beginning from the end. He has your best in mind for his glory. God is passionate for you. 
God is not like you, so don't expect God to just do everything the way you want it to be done. Think about Sue and I in our marriage. So here's another cool thing. We were back up here this weekend because it's our 44th anniversary yesterday. And uh, that woman is my hero. She should have killed me like a long time ago. Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Like 44 years, right? Um, and uh, we're not the same. Right? We're not like we used to be either, but we're not the same. We're different, right? And, and, and you have that. You have relationships like that. And you go, you're not, we're not like each other. And, and sometimes those are wonderful things you're not like each other because they, they help each other. But God is so not like us. We got our little plans. We got it all. In his heart, a man makes his plans, Proverbs says, but God orders our steps. He's not like you. So be willing to come under that and understand that you strive and you work and you be faithful and all the rest. And you watch how God works and how he blesses in so many different ways. But he's not like you. God is alone in his character. There's no God beside you. There's no one else we can even go to. Um, there's no God before you. And then look in verse 21. I love this part. Um, that The fact that he is a redeeming God. And who is like your people, Israel, uh, and the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people? We serve a redeeming God, a God who bought us back. I think about that for us, and I say this way too much probably when I preach, but we know the rest of the story. David didn't understand the rest of the story like we have it, right? The only part of the rest of the story we don't know is about the return of Christ, and that will come, and we're not supposed to set dates or anything like that, but we know the key part of the rest of the story in God's redemption, the picture of God choosing a people, and then take a look at the picture of God choosing you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and he made you alive in Jesus Christ. And you think about the one who we question when we're not sure about things. This is the God who saved you. This is the one who brought you from death to life when you didn't care about him. There's none righteous, not even one. No man seeks after God, the Bible says. And God brought you to life in Jesus Christ. And this is the God who we trust in the situations in our lives. When I think God was supposed to say yes, and he says no, you remember the God who saved you the one who redeemed you. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, that gift of eternal life is offered to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. He paid a debt you couldn't pay to cover sin that you couldn't cover. He became the propitiation. He became the one who satisfied the wrath of God. This is the God who cares for us when we're in the midst of the struggle, when we're in the midst of the hard time. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. He is my redeemer. He's known by his name, verse 21, who was like your people, Israel, one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people. Make for yourself a name for great and awesome things. And in verse 24, and your name will be established and magnified forever. That's the character of the God who we follow. That's the character of the God who we serve. And this God who answers prayer is a personal God. In verse 22, and you made your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. I have a personal relationship with the God who loved me and cared for me and saved me. And in the most difficult time, I can rejoice and hope in that. So back to the story of the accident that Sue was in. 
uh, partway through that, I don't know if I've ever told you this before, but through that, um, she had a blood clot go up into her lung. And, uh, and it wasn't um, very painful. Um, well, I didn't know that she told me it was very painful, but um, it was a difficult time. Now, I remember talking to um, our surgeon and uh, asking him about it. And, and he said, it's not unusual, like it happens. And I said, well, like, what's, what's the risk of this? Because she had a leg crush, and so a clot up her leg, up into her lung. And, and uh, he said that, you know, we're, we're going to treat it and all the rest of that. Just like, relax. And he's trying to be as nice as he can. And I said, but, but what if? And he goes, well, if they don't stop, eventually, like, they could kill her. Could. And I remember getting in the car and after I'd said goodbye to her and, and driving down Highway 11, we lived in Muskoka at the time, and, and uh, just pulling off on the side of the road and weeping, crying. My, my son was 11 or 12 years old. Our daughter was 8 or 9 years old. And, and I remember in my prayers saying, if you take my wife, Lord, that will be okay. Because you will take care of us. Now, believe me, that was, that was not me, right? That was the Lord. Did I want God to take my wife? Believe me, I did not want God to take my wife. And he didn't, and he restored her, and over lots of, you know, all kinds of stuff. But we just saw God work through all of that, and because God cares for us. Um, the next thing in, in uh, verses 23 to uh, 26, we see that his word is enough. In, uh, in this text, his word is enough. And, and now, O Lord, let the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house be established forever. God, God has given us all that we need uh, for godliness. He's given it to us in his word. A funny story I heard, I, I told this in a sermon I preached a week or so ago. It was about the dad who's driving his car and, and his, his daughter's in the back seat, who obviously is in this thing is a, better, a, a more spiritual person than her dad is. And her dad's just struggling and he says... I wish God would speak to me. And she says, Dad, read your Bible. And he says, I wish he would speak to me audibly. And she said, Dad, read it out loud. <laughs> like we have God's word. We have, God uses other people. He uses all kinds of things in our lives as well, that ways that God speaks. But, but God speaks to us. He cares for us that much. He, he meets our every need. We see that if you read verse 25. But in Philippians 4, 19, my God shall supply all your need. All your need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, look, we live in Canada. We're in the top one percentile of the world, right? We've got more, even the poorest people in our society are better than so many more people all over the world. And so don't get confused about what needs are, right? You don't need a car, I mean, a three-car garage with a pool in the backyard and a trampoline and a, and a, and a summer uh, cottage. We talk like we do. We don't need any of that stuff, right? So, but what you need your God will supply, and he will. You know, you, um, you said in the announcement something that was interesting today, something that really God has worked in my life on. We talk about giving and the offering and giving, and you use three words, and one of the words you use was sacrificially, right? I thought about this. I talked to my elders about this once upon a time. I go, I can't say that. This is not rebuking you, because people say it all the time, and I've said it too many times too, probably. I don't think I've ever given sacrificially in my life. 
Like my idea of sacrifice was I'll only go on a five-day cruise instead of a seven-day cruise and I'll give the difference to God, right? That's not sacrificial. Like we live in a North American society. We don't understand that. I know your pastor as he's come back from Romania and Moldova and looking and seeing just the journey in his own heart about these things. And, and yet God's placed us here. Uh, uh, Lydia, the seller of purple, she wasn't, she wasn't rebuked for her wealth, right? And what do we do with it and who is it for and all the rest of it? But here's the promise. Your God will supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And God's going to provide for them a house of worship for the next generation. Though David wouldn't build it, David would also be part of the line that would be the supply of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. God meets our every need. God keeps his promises. Verse um, and verse 26 says, And now, O Lord, you are God. You have promised this good thing to your servant. And he is the God who blesses. Verse 27. God desires to bless us in his kingdom ways. In ways that bring him the glory. Well, so what? So what? When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will trust the Lord. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will decide to put aside what I want and my desires and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. When I'm overwhelmed in life, I will pray and I will trust you to forgive me. You forgave me in my salvation. I will come to you in my self-righteousness and my lack of faith. And Lord, I will trust you. I will trust you to give me peace. Peace I leave with you, John 14 says. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Philippians 4, 4-9, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things and what you have learned and received and heard and seen from me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. God will forgive your sin. God will give you peace. God will guide and he will teach you. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God will um, grow and keep us. Philippians 1.6, for I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then God will be your helper in your need. Let us then be confident and confidently draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Julius Mascarenus was in our plan for our church, and then he was gone. And yet God cared for his family. God cared for our church. And so what is it in your life, and it's like, 
God, that was my plan, but you're messing up my plan, God. David had a plan. It's like, God, you're messing up my plan, God. And then he went to the Lord and he prayed. When things are difficult, when things are hard, I choose to pray. I choose to trust. I choose to hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our only hope. What a great, what a great truth that is for us, right? What a great hope we have. So let's walk faithfully, serving the Lord, desiring to be more like Jesus Christ, not looking for what I want and what I think I need all the time, but Lord, not my will, not my will, but your will be done for your glory, Lord. That's my prayer. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage. My heart is struck as I think about it. David was a king. David, David was used to getting whatever he wanted. And then Nathan had to come back and say, David, you're not going to get this one. The Lord has a different plan. And David came under. And he trusted you. And you worked for your glory. Lord, you will do that in my life. You will do that in our lives. You will do that in the life of this church here in Ottawa. You already are. So Lord, teach us to trust you and walk with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in his precious name.